Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Skewed and Reviewed Skewcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and I'm joined as always with Justin and Michael. You can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, pop culture, and more. We have a quarterly magazine, which uh, gives us a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the topics. And, of course, you can catch me each week on DJ Shea's Geek Nation on KISWFM as we talk uh, about the latest Embrace news as it's hitting. And you can catch us also at Pinal, P-I-N-A-L Central.com, Keyword Skewed, which is a network of uh, 10 papers in 21 markets where we provide the video game news and coverage. So this week, uh, we're still in the, I guess for some people, doldrums of um, the new year. It's not really that there isn't a lot of news. It's a case that people are still getting back into the swing after the holiday break. Everybody is kind of looking to see uh, what's going on, what's coming forward. And we're starting to see a little bit of waking because traditionally there's CES and Kind of quiet, mixed news, not a lot of video uh, game, and not a lot of um, movie news at this time of year. This year has been a little different. We've had a lot more than usual, and uh, lots of stuff coming up that's really kind of getting a lot of people's attention. So the first thing off is the first real big look at the uh, coming products, and Xbox and Bethesda have a developer direct coming next week. The date of it will be on the 25th of January for the United States, later in certain countries like Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and it is scheduled to be at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, people are really excited about this because amongst some of the uh, anticipated and hoped for news, we do know that we are going to get a look at the latest uh, Tamriel update for The Elder Scrolls Online. We're going to be getting some news on Forza Motorsport, Minecraft Legends, and a uh, nice look at the upcoming Redfall. Now, of course, people are also looking forward to hearing things about Starfield and more. And so we'll start with you, Justin. What do you think? Is this... Uh, uh, what do you expect to hear from this one? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, um, I think this is kind of going to be one of the bigger early uh, events of the year for for games. So I'm kind of hopeful that we're going to see quite a bit of. Uh, I'm hoping it's a little more ambitious than than reserved. So I'm I'm really hoping to see Starfield there. Um, there were some rumblings that maybe uh, Starfield was going to be delayed again. Um, mostly speculative but there were you know some indications online that uh, some some outlets had switched its uh pending release date to just 2023 in general instead of like quarter 1 uh not really you know anything to put major stock in until you hear anything official but uh I'm hoping that we get a, a very good look at the basically a very close to final build of the game because uh, I would imagine if it's going to be hitting that um quarter 1 um release date uh, roughly around March, um, then uh, its current state should be pretty close to done. So I, I would like to see an extended look at, at Starfield. Um, you know, some of the other um, 
uh, titles you mentioned too, I think would be uh, a, a good opportunity um, to kind of show off, uh, you know, where, where Elder Scrolls Online is. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I think Microsoft could surprise us with some other things. Um, you know, I, I think they could kind of go over um, what uh, what their what their plans are for Halo Infinite, for instance. Uh, you know, com- coming into this new year, so uh, I think it's a good opportunity for. For a lot of things, but um, more than anything, I think Starfield is is what they should lean on. Yep, sounds like it. And Michael, do you have any takes on this? Yeah, so I think I think hopefully Starfield will see a lot more actual gameplay footage from Starfield. Um, and, and I'm along the same lines as if they're not ready to release it, I'd rather them push it back than you know release the game and, and try to patch it later. So I'm okay with games being delayed if they feel that that's needed to make the, you know, to make it a better release. I think the industry has gotten a little bit, you know, comfortable with releasing stuff in a broken state and patching it later. And I think that needs to be kind of a, a situation where, you know, some of these developers just really need to push back the dates, get things tidied up and fixed up, and then, you know, go from there. So, um, but I hope, hopefully we will see at least some, some extended footage on Starfield. Um, Obviously, that we'll probably get some announcements on games coming to Xbox Game Pass, um, both uh, Microsoft exclusives, and again, they've been doing a lot with um, other vendors and other um, developers and getting games released to Xbox Game Pass, so we'll probably see some updates on that. Um, obviously, any more additional information on Elder Scrolls, either Elder Scrolls Online or the next Elder Scrolls game would be a welcome um, addition to that sort of thing. Uh, maybe an announcement on a new Fallout game would be pretty interesting. Not that I would expect it anytime soon, but um, just to kind of see where that franchise is headed and, and hopefully kind of get away from the Fallout 76 stuff and, and move back towards the single-player uh, Fallout experience. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that we could potentially see. They're kind of coming out of the gate early, which could indicate that they've got some pretty big announcements um, lined up, and we'll just kind of see where it goes from there. The speculation I heard last week was that we were going to get a release date for Starfield, and uh, that would tie in with what you had said, but of course, um, you know, there were also, if you remember a couple weeks ago, there were reports that the announced release date was changed on Steam and that sort of stuff to like a coming soon type thing, so uh, that will be, uh, I think, obviously a great big source of... um, interest people because they are going to be looking to see, okay, what's been delayed again? What are we going to uh, hopefully getting to see sooner rather than later? And then, of course, as you said, what else is uh, happening? Because uh, it kind of goes without saying that during this time there has been some uh, turmoil in the Microsoft camp. You know, first we had reports that they're still battling away to try to complete their acquisition of uh, Blizzard and Activision, and that apparently a lawsuit uh, from a consumer group that they were hoping to get a delay for. The delay was not granted by a judge, so they are going to have to depend with that, as well as the other issues they're dealing with. And then just recently, Microsoft apparently laid off over 10,000 people, and this has caused all kinds of questions, such as uh, people saying, well, uh, given what happened with the last Halo game and what's going on with the layoffs, this could impact the future of the franchise. We have 343 Studios. People have said that all of their 
advanced tech such as the HoloLens VR, all of that is basically gone at this point. And with Microsoft uh, not really lighting up the market in that area and Sony about to release PSVR 2, it looks like Sony's going to pretty much have a lock on the home virtual console market in terms of the VR field. And then, of course, what's the long-term trickle-down? You know, how many of these people were working with Windows? How many of them were working with new products, uh, Office, Word, that sort of thing? So uh, we'll start with Michael. What do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, this seems to be the industry right now. Um, pretty much all of the tech companies, Google, Meta, um, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, are all laying off. Um, Tons of people. A lot of it has to do with over hiring during the uh, pandemic, and some of these things. Like I think the Hololens um, and um, uh, augmented reality type stuff. There was a big push on the, the military and some other large organizations investing heavily in that. Um, I think from a consumer market, from a, a corporation standpoint, it was already kind of a dead industry. Um, not that I don't see the benefit in it. I think there was a, uh, a definitely a big benefit to it, but I certainly think it's way before its time. Um, I think it's something that, you know, 10 years from now will probably be a lot more um, utilized, but I think the tech in general is a little expensive uh, for, for most companies to invest in. I think there's still a big um, reluctancy to rely on that kind of tech to resolve issues. I think from a, a you know, repair standpoint from an overall co contractor type perspective. I think there's lots of benefits to it, but right now the, the cost of maintaining it, the cost of developing it, and really the cost of selling it just is not there. Um, and a lot of these big tech, tech companies are trying to offload um, areas of the business where there's not a current significant growth or a current significant um, uh, you know, they, they're all trying to, with the, the economy the way it is, there's a lot of companies that just need to cut the fat. And, and let's let's face it, the augmented reality stuff is not a key business for Microsoft. So if they're looking to cut costs and um, headcount, it, it's that's an area they're going to go for because, again, that's not a revenue-generating in industry for them yet. Um, again, it might be something down the road where they – they take another look into it. But I think it's, if, again, if you're looking at it from a, a purely business model, the cost of that development is far outweighs any of the revenue they're receiving. So they're going to, again, cut the, the revenue, um, the ones that aren't generating the revenue, get back to their core business, which I think a lot of these companies are doing now. Um, this is not the time to be um, investing in new technology. This is not the time to be investing in um in a lot of things because let's face it with the economy the way it is there's not going to be any um corporations that are going to be out purchasing the next big things they're all they're all scaling back they're all going back to their core business you know maybe in five or ten years as the economy settles out there will be room for more experimentation but right now we're in a very similar situation to where the dot-com industry was right before the burst where there just isn't um a lot of money for r&d type projects and that's literally what this has been for several years for Microsoft so again I think it's, it's something they're gonna have to shelve for a while um, until the industry catches up to it to identify a need for this 
Um, again, we see this in other corporations that are doing the exact same thing. So I, I don't think this is um, a surprise to anyone. And again, Microsoft, this is just Microsoft getting back to its core business model, uh, getting back to its focus on Xbox, focus on Windows, focus on, on its Azure cloud, things that are, are really going to be money generators. And they're going to be, I think we're going to see this across the, the globe. From a um, company perspective, we're going to see cutbacks, significant cutbacks on anything that isn't core business um, for the foreseeable future. That sounds like it. And uh, Justin, what do you think? No, I think Michael's completely right. I mean, I think we're in this, there's kind of a cyclical nature to everything where, you know, um, when things are going well, you have a little bit more uh, time, resources, money, uh, manpower to kind of dedicate to uh, kind of risky, risky projects, risky endeavors. And, you know, that's kind of like what we're seeing with like HoloLens and things like that. You know, it was um, trying to, you know, spending a lot of resources, a lot of people try to develop a technology that could eventually become a really big thing, but it really just didn't seem like it, it went anywhere, at least not yet. I mean, I think that's a good point that, uh, you know, it could, it could still eventually happen. It's just, Right now, it seems like the bloat is too much to be sustainable for a lot of these companies. So, you know, it's it's not su surprising that they're they're scaling back. I mean, we we talked about Ubisoft last week. It's same same kind of thing. You know, a lot of these companies are, um, you know, the economy's not doing great. You know, anywhere. So they're kind of scaling back. They're kind of you know, uh, they're they're gonna maybe put the things that are a little bit more risky. Maybe need more time in the oven. Maybe they're just going to shelve those for a little while. Um, focus on the on the the prospects that work, that are part of the core business model, and then maybe eventually they'll they'll revisit those those other projects again at some point in the future. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's kind of where we're at right now. And then as far as like the the Activision Microsoft um, deal, you know, I, I think that's another a case where. I think it probably would be better to hold, you know, just me personally, I think it'd be better um, for the industry if that was held, held off for a little while. Um, you know, I, I think I get, I get a little concerned when, when some of these, uh, some of these entities get super, super, super huge. Um, you know, I, I think that can lead to some unhealthy uh, situations in, in an industry when there's when there's you know not as many players in it as it were so um, I'm kind of a little hopeful that uh, in general things kind of just settle into what works uh, not a lot of change and then you know maybe five ten years from now or you know even less than that when when things rebound a little bit maybe three or four years from now then they kind of revisit some of those uh, so those big changes and the thing, too, is you have to look at the business model, like you said. There have been all these reports that uh, Xbox has never been a profitable franchise for them, and that you took on the cost of acquiring Bethesda. You're trying to take on Activision Blizzard. Well, guess what? That's created a whole storm of lawsuits and wheeling and dealing and all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff. That all costs money. And so... You know, I'm sure you have having to play publicists, lobbyists, lawyers, all of that kind of stuff. So that may just uh, factor into it. And then let's remember, it's the first of the year. This is when a lot of people are uh, figuring out their taxes, figuring out their plans for the year. And that could exactly be what it is 
you just simply have companies saying, you know what, this isn't going to work for us and we need to think about this. Now, one thing I wanted to mention briefly before we go on to the next topics, uh, there has been some interesting I, I mean, we all know people like to complain and consumers seem never to be happy. Uh, but I was looking at uh, something about an upcoming game called Forspoken. And there has been a backlash from various consumers saying that system specs are getting ridiculously out of hand. And it's funny because I was actually talking about this to a tech class the other day. And I said, I've seen certain games, retro games that uh, came out with a certain spec and they were re-released to play on modern systems but there were no enhancements there was no additional content there was no graphical update there was no okay it runs in 4k none of that stuff but yet ironically it ends up having four or five to six times the system requirements that the original game had and I was kind of looking at that, and there was, some, you know, there was always a trend. I remember back in the day when I worked at Sierra, and a monolith people would say, well, developers are lazy because they work with what's available. But then when the hardware spec started to get pretty powerful, then they started, well, I'm not going to worry about compression. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm just going to do whatever I want and assume everybody has the power to run it. And looking at this game for spoken, and I know it's coming out on consoles, but this is kind of crazy. Um, if you want to run it, minimum specs, Windows 10 64 bits after the 2019 update or Windows 11 64 bit. Okay, that's pretty standard for any game. Uh, you go through the processors, AMDs, Intel, la 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 la. And what people were getting really crazy about is, you know, memory's fine, 16, 24, 32 if you want to run Ultra. But this is where they were looking at. Now, uh, you know, using the NVIDIA standard, the bare minimum to run it is a 1060 with 6 gigs The uh, for minimum graphics settings. The recommended is a 3070 with 8 gigs. And if you want to run Ultra, you should have a 4080 with 16 gigs. And so people are looking at that going, if you want me to run your new game in Ultra, I've got to have a 4080 graphic card, 32 gigs of RAM, and now they're saying that the hard drive resolution, the hard drive space is 150 or more gigabytes. And so there was this huge thing where people are saying it's just getting out of hand. The specs on some of these, you know, a game should not be 150 gigabytes for a basic install. Um, so we'll start with uh, Michael. What do you think? I think people haven't been around long enough to know what it was like back in the day when we, uh, you had to upgrade from a 386 to a 486 just to run a game. Personally, I'm looking at the specs, and I don't think they're all that bad. A 1060 came out in 2016. Uh, most PC gamers upgrade every two years. Um, and, again, these the minimum specs, if people want to run Ultra, they need to be running Ultra equipment. And I know people don't like that answer, but it's true. Now, most gamers don't play on Ultra anyways. Um and Ultra could, it typically indicates things like ray tracing and stuff, which realistically, unless you're running a 3080 or higher, you shouldn't probably be running um, ray tracing unless you're running DLSS anyways. The space, um, that typically indicates uh, a lot of stuff, particularly when you're looking at um, increased um, 
resolution in games, um, higher you know higher release type stuff. I don't think space is that big of a deal. We're talking about one terabyte drives now that run fifty bucks, sixty bucks, hundred sixty gig is not terribly unusual for a game load. I think even games like Modern Warfare 2, the original download was 80 or 90 gig, not counting um, other stuff that it gets on top of that. So I, I, I look at the specs, I find them pretty reasonable, uh, at particular if you're a PC gamer. Um, you know, there comes a time where developers need to stop trying to shoehorn games into specs of, game, of systems that have been out for six or seven years. Um, at this point, I think we need to, it's the same with like trying to back level these games for PS4 and Xbox One. In order to move the industry forward, developers need to start focusing on current gen hardware. Um, again, the 3080 came out almost two and a half years ago at this point. Um, and again, that's only saying for Ultra. The minimum specs still allow you to run it on equipment that's literally seven years old. Um, and then you can adjust your settings based on your availability of a hardware and that sort of thing. So I personally don't see any issues with this. I know that may not be a popular um, sentiment, but um, at, at some point you either need to decide if you want to play this on PC hardware, you need to be looking to get to a current gen. And I know some people still say, yeah, my 1080 runs fine. My 2080 runs fine. And if it does for the games you want to play, great. But I would still rather see developers focus on current-gen hardware, making the game run and look better on current-gen equipment. And if you want to run on lower-end PC hardware, maybe console gaming is more um, something to look into. Because, again, you can get a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series X that will run the game with the current settings. Um, and it's not much of an investment that way either. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to get your take on that, Justin, in a second. But I was just doing a quick check, and, um, you know, I, I can kind of – I mean, you actually make an excellent point, Michael. Uh, Call of Duty has always been kind of singled out for the ridiculous install size. So right now I'm looking at Modern Warfare on my, on my PC. And it says local files 67.56 gigabytes. Now, how much of this is backed up on the cloud and all of that? Who knows? Uh, but that that's uh, the, the base game, the uh, Warzone 2, and the campaign. I haven't uh, erased that yet. I probably might somewhere down the low, uh, road. I normally uh, what is it like two versions ago they gave you the option, or two or three they gave you the option to erase the campaign when you're done. And if you want to just keep Warzone and just keep the multiplayer, you can do that for each sides. I'm leaving it alone because uh, one of the stories we heard is that this will be a two-year DLC for this, and there's a rumor that one of them will be an expansion. Uh, for the first time, we'll get a real core expansion to the um, campaign, the first time in the modern warfare era, should I say. And so I'm just kind of leaving it be, because like you said, I have plenty of space. But the interesting thing, though, is like I was looking at, I know it's not a uh, system buster, but like Aliens Fireteam Elite, uh, that's logging in at about uh, 37 gigabytes, and this is the one that kind of surprised me. Uh, so I'm looking at Fallout 76 now. Yes, it's been out a while, but you consider it's had a considerable amount of updates, 
uh, over the years, and that's logging in at 70.66 gigabytes on the local drive. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, you can see the jump that you had a game like Fallout, tons and tons of updates, 70 gigabytes. You had a game like Modern Warfare 2 came out just a couple months ago. Haven't had the huge wave of updates. There is a, the brand new season is coming with new maps and content in February. They're at about 60, and now we're making the jump to almost twice that. But like you said, uh, we all have the hard drive space for it, and if you don't, it's certainly easy enough. And, you know, that's something that I learned long ago, that if you're going to play on a PC, uh, you have to expect that if you want to keep playing the new games, you better be willing to buy new processors every five years or so. You're probably going to want to update your graphic card every three to four years, and uh or, you know, do what some people do and just go really high on them now so you have a longer lifetime with them. Uh, but, Justin, uh, finish that topic out for us. What do you think? Yeah, so, um, uh, as you guys were talking, I pulled up some recommended specs for just a few games. That I felt like it was probably most fair to compare it to other open-world games because Forspoken is, is an open-world game, so... Um, and I, again, they, all these are kind of apples and oranges. There's very clear differences between some of these, but um, it, it is kind of interesting. Uh, I do think that there is a case to be made that some some games are much uh, better uh, optimized than other ones, um, and that that's always appreciated. You know, uh, gamers will always kind of point out if a game is very well optimized or if it's very poorly optimized, and you know, I think it is something that that they do appreciate. Uh, when it is well optimized, when they spend the time, you know, on the technical side to, uh, to make sure it, you know, it runs well uh, on the most amount of systems possible, and you know, would, uh, I don't want to get into the weeds on that just yet. So let's go to the, the some of these uh, uh, numbers I ran. So for, um, for for spoken, as you mentioned, it's it's recommended spec specifications wanted a thirty seventy with eight gigabytes of virtual memory and a hundred hundred fifty gigabytes of hard drive space i kind of skipped over the processors because all three of these games kind of recommended the same level of processor um so the real big difference is like how much hard drive space is being taken up and uh the video card that it wants you to be running uh for recommended um so uh the other two games i picked out are horizon uh zero dawn and uh elden ring both you know fairly recent um uh, open world games uh, now Elden Ring it there's a lot of very very impressive um, visuals in Elden Ring but uh, I wouldn't say it's like the best looking game on the market Horizon is very very good looking um, but what's interesting about about both of those so Elden Ring uh, recommends a 1070 with 8 gigabytes of memory and Horizon recommends a 1060 with 6 gigabytes Horizon wants 100 gigabytes of memory and Elden Ring wants 60 um, I also just, for the heck of it, I threw uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 in here too. Red Dead wants a 1060 with 6 gigabytes, so the same as Horizon, and 150 gigabytes of available space. Um, so the, the one, one of the things I'm noticing here is that the, the amount of space is very, very much varies greatly from, from game to game. So Forspoken and Red Dead, for instance, want 150 gigabytes of your space. Uh, Horizon wants 100, Elden Ring wants 60, um, 
but I think the 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 clear outlier here is Forspoken um, is very demanding on the graphics card part of it, and I think that's probably where a lot of this is coming from because that's you know for a lot of people the hardest thing to to upgrade in their computer at this point because of how much they cost and and how notoriously difficult they are to come by. Um, but uh, to Michael's point, you know that that's the other thing too is that uh, you know that there's so much focus on getting a good graphics card. I mean, it was a, a pretty big topic. Even we talked about it many times in the last couple of years. Um, there really has to be some games out there that, that actually like push the, these, these graphics cards. So, you know, you look at all these like big, huge games I'm, I'm talking about. So horizon, Elden ring, red dead redemption Two. Um, a lot of them aren't really even recommending, uh, you know, nothing in the two series. They're all three of them are recommending a 1070 uh, or a 1060, uh, obviously with a lot of video memory. But um, you know, I think Forspoken is the only one that's that's actually recommending a, a very very modern video card. Um, that said, you know, I think that comes with an expectation. So if if a game is re- recommending a 3070, then it probably should be like the best one of the best looking games on the market. And, you know, frankly, I mean, it looks good, but I wouldn't, you know, put it in the upper echelon, like, you know, top echelon of like best looking games, uh, that are available. So I think that might be part of this controversy too. You know, I think if that expectation was there that, uh, you should be running a 3070 to run this game, then it really should, you know, it should hit that bar where it, it looks like, Oh, this is a, that makes sense. Like that really, is the the graphics card that really would push these visuals but i don't i think there might be a little bit of a disconnect there so kind of to bring this back to full circle like i think there is a case to be made that maybe this game isn't quite as well optimized as other ones um you know and it is a good you know it's maybe not a requirement but i think it is something that gamers do appreciate when developers do put the time into optimize a game well um so that it can run on on more systems you know, I know. Oh, Justin, real quick, um, to, to Justin's point as well, I think some of this might more, and I don't know, I haven't followed for, I haven't followed it all that closely. Um, so one thing about the Square Enix games in general is some of this might boil down to cutscenes as well. Like for example, Final Fantasy 16, which I think is the one that's upcoming, it requires 100 gigabytes as well. Um, only the recommended minimum is a, a twenty is a ten sixty, but they recommend a twenty seventy. So I agree that the GPU power isn't as strong, but I, I do think if we're looking at games that will focus a lot more on storytelling, um, particularly when we're talking about four K animated um, cutscenes and that sort of thing, that's going to take up a significant amount of space over over something else. Um, and, and again, I don't, I haven't followed that closely, but that's a, that's a big key to this as well. That could explain some of the, um, file size recommendations also. And the other thing too, like anything else is I played the demo and it wasn't, obviously it's a demo. I didn't see anything earth shattering, groundbreaking. In fact, after about a 40 minutes with the demo, I was like, this isn't for me. This is not going to be a game I'm going to be interested in playing now i have been told by people that apparently the demo isn't going to be a good indication of what the final game will be but you know 
when you hear specs like that, you're thinking this thing had better be a step above what's currently out in order to justify that for many people. And uh, we'll see. It will be interesting. The next thing we have on the list is uh, we're getting closer and closer to various shows coming up like WonderCon. And we know that a certain company that we always like to cover is going to be there doing their promotions. And we are, you know, tracking various things that they have coming up. And we also know about a uh, uh, several superhero games. So, for example, um, lots of push on Legion of Superheroes. We had a new clip released for us a couple days ago. And then out of the blue just the other day, we got news of a brand new DC animated film, Batman, the Doom that came to Gotham. And we got a trailer on that. Now, interesting enough, uh, this is coming out on March 28th, so we're thinking this is probably going to get a good push at WonderCon. And uh, Justin, start us off. What do you think? Is more uh, animated DC films from Wonder uh, from Warner Brothers? Yeah, so I actually I, I've I've actually liked a lot of the the DC animated movies quite a bit. Uh, I haven't watched all of them, but um, you know I, I think they've done a good job with them. I think they um actually more more than the live action movies i think they know kind of like what type like what to identify in the dc universe that's like kind of interesting to make uh uh make movies off of so um this was one that um i watching the trailer is actually pretty interested in it just because of it has kind of a different aesthetic to what we normally expect from uh from gotham um at first, I thought it would it may have been because um, I know that there is a, a version of Batman that takes place, um, you know, quite a far back in the past, uh, more of like a um, uh, like an eighteen hundreds, like early nineteen hundreds kind of thing. But um, I I don't think that's you know if if either you know uh, if I'm like just completely off base here. But I I think that it uh, it had a very different aesthetic. Um, to to what i normally expect for batman so i'm actually pretty interested in it um and uh, uh it's one i'll probably end up end up watching all right and michael what do you think on this yeah the, i think that dc animated are we some of the best movies that come out of the dc universe in general i think it's been that way since wow the 90s probably um even back to the cartoons and, and um the televised cartoons and and you know pretty much every uh, movie release for the most part. I mean, there's, there's been some misses, obviously, but generally speaking, I think the DC animated universe um, tells the best stories. Now, if they could get this on the same page with the DC movie releases, I think we'd have some hits out there. Uh, but I will say that, for the most part, the animated um, series have always been fantastic. Um, so anytime we see more of these, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they've been, as you said, they've been dead on. I've been very curious to see what's coming next. I'm curious to see uh, what they'll be promoting at WonderCon. I mean, this probably would be one because it falls right under the release date. In fact, you know, if I had to roll the dice, I would say this might be something that they uh, debut at WonderCon because that has been a pattern that they have done where they take a soon to be released film, like something that's coming out, like, for example, this is due out on March 28th. WonderCon is March 24th, 25th, and 26th. So I could easily see this being, we're going to do 
either a Friday or Saturday night, we're going to debut the film in the arena. And then, uh, you know, there'll be some kind of press or roundtable publicity, but uh, good stuff. That will definitely be really interesting to see. The final thing I wanted to talk about today before we wrap things up is that Universal Studios Hollywood has been getting a lot of attention for their upcoming Super Nintendo World, which is due to open officially next month. We'll win some soft openings. <coughs> and uh, we have uh, had some pictures and some video of the power bands that are coming to Universal Studios. There's Luigi, there's a Mario, and there's a Princess one. And essentially what they're going to do is you wear them and you hit various activation points around the park and it lets you level up your experience and that sort of thing. And so you will be able to work with interactive elements. I've seen some of the mystery boxes and things like that. Uh, Justin, start us off. What do you think? Yeah, I think this will be pretty cool. You know, um, obviously for someone like me, very nostalgic. I Super Nintendo is my first console, and um, you know, I'm, I'm even now. You know, I I am a, I would say a Nintendo fan. So, um, you know, I I think this kind of thing is pretty cool. I haven't gone to very many uh, amusement parks in a very very long time, but I kind of like this idea, especially for video games. I think it's a cool idea to kind of. Um, pair up this technology so that you can kind of make it a more interactive experience while you're there. So I, I'm really curious to check it out myself. And Michael, what do you take? From yeah, I think it's really cool. I like the power-up wristbands that they're going to be offering. Um, last time we were at Universal, a lot of it was in um, place. You can see a lot of it from um, when you're up on top before you go down to where, like, um, the, the Transformers ride is and where the Jurassic World ride is. Um, when you're up on the very top before you descend those massive staircases, um, you can see a lot of it was already in place. And honestly, when I first looked at it, it almost reminded me more of Minecraft. Um, but it's very colorful. It looks like it's going to be um, a lot of fun. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see once it's all opened up and, and running what it's like. Um, but it is takes up a significant area of land at Universal and should be a big hit for them. Yeah, and that's uh, what has been the early word is that people are already starting to really enjoy the soft opening of checks. You know, it's funny because they only have the Mario ride in California uh, due to spacing issues. Uh, in Japan, they actually have two rides there, but that hasn't changed anything. People are enjoying that. They're enjoying the restaurant. They're enjoying just the whole uh, aesthetic and characters and everything there so that's uh, going to be a big big deal and it'll be really interesting and i should note this uh as well but uh today is apparently i don't know if these are dated or if this is actually happening today but i believe it is coming in today that today is the last day for splash mountain at disneyland and uh, disney world it is going to be shut down and rethemed into tiana's bayou adventure and we're hearing reports of lines over three hours long for people uh, who want to get on it one more time before it goes away. So, you know, that it's all truthfully for me, this kind of thing is always bittersweet. I'm not going to get into the politics or it, of it or anything like that. Uh, but for me, the problem is you get so attracted and familiar with things that have been there since you were younger. 
and as a child, it's tough to see them go away. But at the same time, remember what Walt had always said, Disneyland will never be completed as long as there is imagination left in the world. And unfortunately, they do not have the ridiculous amounts of space that Disney World has. And for something to come, something needs to go. And I know that they, you know, they worked very hard. I've talked to Imagineers who told me one of our biggest problems is Fantasyland because there are things there that we'd like to upgrade. There are things there that we'd like to move on from and change. But you also have attractions there that Walt personally had his hand in developing. And that is a really hard part for them going, yeah, it'd be nice to update something that originally came out in the 1950s. That being said, the creator of the company personally had his hand in this, and this is one of his favorites. So that's why you kind of saw, well, let's leave it, but let's upgrade it a little bit and make the lighting and the animatics a little better, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to just see how the new thing looks when it comes out. Um, I did want to leave on a Disney topic. There was one other thing, gentlemen. Uh, we got news that Tron 3 is moving forward with Jared Leto. So, Justin, start us off. What is your take on this? Yeah, interesting. You know, I'll be I'll I'll be following this uh, just because I actually liked Tron Legacy. Uh, I know it was you know not everybody's cup of tea, but um, I liked just the visuals, the music, everything. You know, the thing about that was tough about it, though, and probably the same thing that this new movie, I would imagine, is going to struggle with as well, is that Tron Legacy was pretty far removed, at least in time, from the original. So for a lot of the people that had never seen the original, um, it was... Uh, it, it, the, the struggle is trying to re... Uh, introduce people to this world and its characters um they might not have the context of the original movie uh they might not know you know who tron is and uh the tron legacy definitely played it more as a sequel um so i i'm curious to for this one if they're going to kind of take the same approach because again you know tron legacy i think came out um i'm not even sure like it's been a long time I, i don't know if it's been already 10 years but it's uh um, it's been closer to 15, I 15, think. 15, wow. Okay, well, time I'll, flies. I'll, I'll look that up, but I remember... <laughs> yeah, it came out in 2010. So, yeah, it's been 13 Almost. years. Okay. Wow. Well, All right. this will be the 13th year, let's put it that way. Yeah, that, so time flies um, is, is what I'm learning. So, um, that, I think that's going to be kind of the difficult thing because, you know, um, I think that was the challenge for Tron Legacy was that it was so far removed from, from Tron that um you know for people who had seen tron and who you know for fans of the of the movie probably had seen it multiple times you know they probably it was probably fine but uh i i'm i can speak for myself i had seen the original tron like once and then i saw tron legacy obviously when it came out and uh i liked it but i can see it being kind of off-putting for a lot of people um the other thing too is that uh you know, this kind of goes into a large, a larger topic about Tron, uh, which is that when Tron, when the original Tron came out, um, not not to say that you know uh, its depiction of of a digital uh, uh, setting, a digital world, uh, was realistic at all, uh, even even in its you know in the context of when it came out, but it was a little more, um, it was a little more viable than 
when Tron Legacy came out. When Tron Legacy came out, it's definitely like just the aesthetics of how the digital world was designed um, was much more like like a like a retro future kind of thing than what you know. I think people in 2010 kind of expect like a cyberspace to look like or to to be like, I guess. So I think that's another thing that they'll they'll struggle with a little bit as well is how do you modernize um, that depiction of a of a digital world so but i'm i'm interested you know i again i like tron legacy um so um and i've been kind of waiting for a sequel ever since and michael what do you have for us to close this out yeah so i'll i'll, I'll throw some stats at you so the original tron came out in 1982 um, i actually saw it in theaters on release i was 10 years old at the time to just put that frame of reference 20, and 28 years later, Legacy um, came out. Um, in 1982, there was an estimated uh, 621,000 computers in American households. I was lucky enough to have one. Uh, most of my friends did not. Um, and computers were very mysterious to a lot of people. That's the, that's the one of the sad things I think about Tron is it didn't do well on initial release. Um, which was unfortunate because I think it, it tackled a lot of things about computers and video games um, when the genre was still new to a lot of people. It was still mysterious. Um, a lot of what took place inside computers, I think, was mysterious. So the original Tron really put a visualization on what cyberspace at the time um, inside of computers was like. Revolutionary for its time, uh, one of the first, if not the first, used computer-generated graphics. Um, I think the art style, while it, it isn't as great today, I think it holds up pretty well. Maybe not the suits so much, but I certainly think like the I, I like the retro look of the um, the computer aided graphics at the time. I think they hold up a lot better than say something like Lawnmower Man, for example, that used three um, D graphics and was pretty bad. Not just from no, a story yeah. perspective, but yeah. from a, a graphical perspective. I think if you put that in line with Tron, which came out, um, what, 10 years earlier-ish, um, I still think those graphics hold up pretty cool today. Now, I am biased, because um, it is a lot of nostalgia for me. I liked I liked Legacy. I thought they did a great job with it. Uh, but again, I think there has to be some of that, um, that nostalgia taking it back. So I'm very excited about Tron 3. Um, I think it's in a position where it, it needs to compete with something like matrix you know because people think of um cyberspace computer computer space now as realistic looking kind of maybe even dystopian blade runner-esque type of thing because they're again the graphics are now the, the whole point of gaming pc um video games cyberspace whatever is holodeck right looking realistic looking like you're in the real world so I think that's a place where it struggles, where the the bits and the logic boards and the transistors and all of that that made I think they made the initial look so good. Um, now people are looking at cyberspace more as they would the Matrix, where everything looks like you're in the real world, but you're in some dystopian world. I think Legacy did a good job with that transition. I think it's going to be difficult for Tron Three to to separate itself from being just a, this is the future versus this is inside of a computer. Um, 
again, I think that was something that made the first one so spectacular, but I think it doesn't translate to kids these days um, or people that didn't grow up in a genre at a time when upgrading your computer meant taking it apart, soldering memory chips onto the board, that sort of thing. Um, so, so it does kind of put itself in an odd place. So I think story is going to be key there, uh, but I'm excited. I'm glad they're moving forward with that franchise. I honestly wish or hope that they would do a Disney plus series on Tron first. I know they had the animated, um, show that came out several years ago, which was fantastic for those who hadn't watched it. I recommend it. Um, I think that probably even came out well, probably about close to the time. Uh, the movie came out, so maybe not eight or nine years ago. Um, but I would recommend watching that if you haven't, just because I think it, it, it handles that world really well. Um, but I, I kind of wish they had done this more in a in a Disney Plus um, episode, episodic type things. So I think they could build that story, build that universe, and kind of expand on it from there. But again, I'm excited for it anyways. I think Tron is a really fascinating universe. I think, again, I think the movie, as as a lot of 1980 movies don't necessarily hold up, I think Tron holds it very well, and I think even the graphical style holds it very well. Again, it's not going to be your um, latest and greatest, but when you consider the time frame, you consider the story, I think overall it holds up pretty well. So I'm excited for it. Well, that sounds really good, and that's a great place for us to wrap things up this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Tune in next week, and until then, be safe and have a great week.